Welcome to LifeWords Q&A with David Ray and Andrew Morris. This is episode five. It's a 20-minute weekly conversation uh, between the intersection of life and faith. If you've got a question, you can always email us, lifewords at hopemedia.com.au. Uh, you can find this podcast at iTunes and also at the hope1032.com.au website. Today, we're asking and looking at three issues. Can someone live a happy and productive life without being a Christian? Is there just one Christian view on the asylum seeker issue? But first, David, the word grace is used a lot by Christians. What does it mean and what does it look like? Well, I guess a summary would be that grace is kindness offered to those who don't deserve that kindness. Give me an example. I mean, if I came across and cleaned your house for you and you gave me $100, that wouldn't be grace on your part. That would be a reward for services rendered, or not a reward, but just a a payment for services rendered. Um, But if you were to simply give me $100, which I'm not suggesting you do, but if you were to give me $100 just off the top of your head, that would be more like grace. In other words, grace is something, a kind thing, a good thing done to someone who has done nothing in and of themselves to deserve it. And, and as well as that, there's the overtone of, 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 of care and concern. Grace is not indifference or hostility. Um, when we talk about someone showing grace to us, it's someone who is positively disposed towards us, not someone who's detached from us. So in the context of, say, God's saving grace, what are we looking at in that, in that respect? What's that picture look like? Well, that's the classic illustration of grace because we could do nothing to uh, get right with God in and of ourselves. Uh, So God had to act. God sent Jesus to live and die and rise again for us, not because we were especially meritorious, but because he loved us. And so that's a very, very clear picture of grace. God showing kindness to us in sending Jesus, uh, even though we didn't deserve to have that kindness shown to us. So Jesus, if you like, is really the personification, the supreme expression of um, God's grace. That's why the Bible says it's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. Because we couldn't climb up a ladder to God. God had to come down to us. Now, this is a key, I guess, if you want a key uh, message and theme that comes through the Bible that that grace is what saves us, and it's not by works, which I guess if we look at the book that Paul wrote in Galatians, that centers all around the message of God's amazing grace and uh, that, that that our salvation is earned, well, it's not earned, but it's given to us. Yes, it's, it, it, it's a gift. And it's sad that many Christians don't see grace as being all that amazing. They've almost sort of like taken it for granted. Um, funnily enough, we can only really appreciate God's grace when we appreciate the depths of our what the Bible calls sin. Um, it's not the, so much that we've got to feel terrible about ourselves. It's just a case of, boy, was I in great need? And look at what God has done to um, meet that need. So, yes, the, 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 this is where Christianity is so different from other religions. Other religions generally are all about us climbing up some ladder of merit in order to get to God. Um, Christianity is all about God coming down to our level and uh, putting us right with himself through um, his grace. Mind you, we have to accept that grace. Um, the grace is in the form of an offer. Uh, if we don't accept it, of course, it doesn't do us much good. And so it's a, it's, a, it's a hard message sometimes to absorb the fact that Jesus loves you and has given you eternal life 
and you have to just say I accept it not I, I don't have to strive or work for it and I guess Paul in the book of Galatians is talking about um, you foolish Galatians you know um, the Old Testament that that old way of doing things it doesn't apply anymore just don't look to the past. This is the current. This is the future. This is what it's at. You just got to accept Jesus's grace, um, his gift of eternal life. Yeah, well, well, the Old Testament law, of course, was was all very good. But unfortunately, by Jesus' day, it had been twisted by some to assume that somehow or other by keeping the law, you could actually um, get right with God. But of course, while God obviously wants us to keep his rules and commands, um, they're not the way by which we get right with God because, you see, if we could be good enough for God in and of ourselves, we'd have no need of grace. Grace presumes that we are not in and of ourselves earning merit before God. Now, it doesn't mean that we are no good at all because there is such a thing, actually, as God's common grace. Well, yeah, let's explore this. I, I re- remember being at a conference uh, recently and uh, an American author, Tim, I think Timothy Keller, wrote about this thing called common grace. It was something that all human beings have. It's a gift that God gives all of us. We're just, just because we're a Christian doesn't mean we're any special, any more special than the person that doesn't know Jesus. Yes, as the Bible says, God causes the rain and the sun, the rain to fall on the just and the unjust and the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. Look, common grace explains why there is so much good in the world, um, not necessarily by people who are Christians. Common grace explains how Christian or non-Christian can enjoy a lovely day, can enjoy a lovely view. Common grace explains why human beings are capable of much kindness and much good. It would be very dangerous for us to say only Christians can do good or that God's grace is only shown to Christians. Um, What we've talked about previously is God's what we call saving grace or special grace, which comes through Jesus. But God's common grace is more to do with his general endowment of blessing on all humankind because of his love. Now, in, in you know, giving humankind all those blessings doesn't necessarily save them. They still need that special grace, that response to Jesus. But we've got to be very, very careful not to th- not, not to sort of confine God's grace to just just Jesus. Jesus is the supreme expression of um, grace, and certainly the expression of what we call saving grace. But there is this common grace. Yeah, God, God just sort of almost willy nilly just distributes. Um, you can be the, the the most wicked person on the face of the earth, but you can um, still enjoy a lovely day in the sun as much as the the most holy and righteous person. And and that that crosses things, the capacity to love, the capacity to be creative, uh, the the skills of being a doctor and intellect. God blesses those that know him or don't know know him or don't know him in in the same way. That's that's right. It's it's foolish of Christians to assume that that such blessings of creativity and care and competence and kindness and so on are confined to Christians. They're not because we're all made in the image and likeness of God and being made in the image and likeness of God, it would be rather strange, would it not, uh, that we are not to exhibit some of his characteristics. Now, exhibiting some of those characteristics, the goodness and the kindness and so on, is not going to save you, but it is an expression of what we might call, yes, God's common grace, God's distributing his blessings on people right, left and centre, and their ability to enjoy that. But to enjoy a right relationship with God and eternal life... You need the saving grace. 
You're listening to LifeWords Q&A with David Ray, Andrew Morris. Uh, if you would like to send us a question, please email us, lifewords at hopemedia.com.au. Our second question for today is, is there just one Christian view on the, the asylum seeker issue? Can Christians disagree on this issue? I guess we're seeing a lot of that at the moment. Yeah, it's a vexed question, isn't it? And um, it's always dangerous, I think, to assume there is one Christian position on any such matter. It can be rather arrogant to say, well, the Christian view is dot, dot, dot. I mean, there, there are Christians on all sides of the debate on this and other issues. But what I think we can say is that Christians ought always to be on the side of justice and compassion and caring for the poor and the needy. That's what the Bible says, right through the Bible. That's what we're to do. And a Christian is always going to say, how can a policy or a procedure, a program of the government or the church or whoever, how can this advance those basic Christian principles? But the problem is, having agreed that justice and compassion are vitally important, what would it look like in specific cases? For example, some Christians would argue, well, it wasn't very just and compassionate to encourage people to risk drowning trying to get here, so it's more compassionate to stop such practices. And, and in a sense, you might agree or disagree with that, but what I'm saying is that, that you can just simply saying we are all for justice and compassion doesn't decide the issue. So we can see, see clearly that Jesus uh, told, told Christians to... Uh, love and look after the poor and the destitute? He certainly did. He certainly did. How we do it, what shape it takes, is another matter. You see, uh, it, it would be dangerous. It's a dangerous fallacy. It's not only Christians recognised to assume that throwing more money at a social problem is going to solve the problem. It might not. That might not be the best way to pursue and achieve justice and compassion. Then again, it may be. That's, you see, why some why Christians differ and why they don't all come to the same conclusions. But what I would want to stress is that Christians must always be on the side of justice and compassion, but they may differ on how we help the poor and how justice might be achieved. So uh, we've discussed previously, David, that we've cons- we consider Australia to be a, a, a secular country, that that it's not a Christian country. I think we came to the agreement uh, in in our first episode. Hmm. Uh, so, in terms of uh, Christians, I guess we need to petition our politicians to to communicate to them that there is a an alternative, uh, a message of love uh, that we need to communicate that we want to express, and to urge our politicians to urge on the, the more compassionate side of when they set policies. Yes, I, I think that's fair, that, that Christians would generally want to say, look, by whatever you do, and it's very hard to decide just policy on these matters, whatever you do, err on the side of compassion, err on the side of, 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 of kindness. That doesn't mean you've got to have a soft and wishy-washy policy. It doesn't mean that at all. But it's like that with prison policy. It's like that with the unemployed. It's like that with a whole lot of things. Don't be careful that you're not mistreating people. Careful that you've got to treat people as human beings. Now, I, I would have to say quite bluntly, I, I can't see how our present asylum seeker policy 
is consistent with how the Bible wants us to treat people. I, I, I really can't see that. But that's not to say, simplistically, oh, well, we've got to open our borders. Uh, we've got to conform to one polit- political party's view of this or another political party's view of it. All I'd want to say is I look at the present policy and think, oh, I'm not sure whether that's really... Is would Jesus really be pleased at how we're treating those people? But then again, I have to, in all humility and all honesty, say, well, uh, come up with an alternate policy. Well, that's that's the hard bit. <laughs> but I think we've got to try to do it. So, in terms of uh, as an individual judging um, our, our our positions and creating positions as Christians on certain subjects and issues, what would be an, uh, some good guiding principles? that you could help us with in determining how we should look up, as an individual, how I could look at how Australia is dealing with the asylum issue or how um, how uh, the government is dealing with social welfare policy. Well, I think, as we've hinted at before, you've always got to say, how is this policy going to impact on the most needy people? Um, but as soon as we say that, uh, we also, it begs the question, well, who are the most needy people? See, again, throwing more money at a particular group of people may not be the best way to um, uh, solve the problem, as it were. Um, Just simply, for example, putting more people on welfare might not be the best long-term way of pursuing the best interests of those who are poor and needy and marginalised. So it it, it, it is very difficult. But what I would want to say to any policymaker is, always err on the side of being compassionate uh, towards those who are particularly needy. But but at the same time, these policymakers also got to be aware of saying, well, yes, but we've got to look after the long-term financial welfare of our country. We're stewards of our wealth. And uh, and this is where you bring into the situation of how much debt we're in and what we're bequeathing to future generations. Look, in, in other words, it's not enough to simply be single-minded on this and say, we've got to pour more money into this uh, uh, situation and being blind to the implications of such a policy. So it is it is extremely difficult, but the one thing we must never do is to equate our Christian faith with one particular political philosophy, one particular partisan political party, uh, because Jesus will never have us be captive to any of those things. We've always, as it were, got to be detached from that political process enough to be critique um, the left wing, to critique the right wing, but I would always want to say, in each and every case, what, how is this policy going to impact on those who are most in need, but always asking the further and more difficult question, yes, how is it going to affect people in the long term, not just the short term? You're listening to uh, the LifeWords Q&A podcast with David Ray, Andrew Morris. We'd love to hear from you. If you've got a question, if uh, something that we've just talked about has created another question uh, for you, please email us, lifewords at hopemedia.com.au. Our final question for this episode is, can someone live a happy and productive life without being a Christian, David? The answer is yes, many people do. So I think that's fairly simple and straightforward. But I think the implication behind the question is, is, is rather a worrying one in a way, that there are people around the place who perhaps think that only by becoming a Christian can you be happy and productive. That falls down for two reasons. One is the issue of what we have previously discussed in another issue of, of common grace. 
God, uh, God's common grace is such, his blessings are such, that many, many people who are outside of the Christian faith can be both happy and productive. They are. They're happy and productive. We know them. And to be able to, to look them in the eye and point the finger at them and say, well, look, you're not really happy, you're not really productive, is rather silly. The other problem with assuming that uh, becoming a Christian, that's the way you become happy and productive, is another very simple one. Some Christians are not happy and not productive. Uh, so coming to Jesus doesn't make you automatically happy and productive, and rejecting Jesus doesn't automatically make you unhappy and non-productive. Um, so so, so it, it, I, I think what's behind questions like this sometimes is rather worrying, Andrew, that some people think that come to, it's, the invitation is come to Jesus and he will make you happy and productive. Uh, that's oversimplifying it. Well, wh- where do we get that impression from? Well, well, I think, well, Jesus obviously says, come to me and you will have abundant life, and I've come to offer you life to the full and all this sort of thing. So we therefore make the conclusion that that will be a trouble-free life. Yeah, yeah, that, that, yes, that's right. Well, we, we, there, are, there are two problems with that. Jesus, first of all, does promise us abundant life. What's abundant mean? It doesn't mean constantly happy. It may well mean productive, but again, we've got to measure productivity um, in the right way. And again, bringing in this common grace theme that we've talked about before, uh, it doesn't mean that just because Jesus has offered his own people abundant life, that there's not any sort of life to be had outside of him, again, because of this, um, this common grace. I think some people sadly have this view of, of or, or, or in their witness to Jesus, want to say to people, uh, come to Jesus. Jesus and um, your marriage is going to be fixed, uh, your kids are going to be obedient, uh, your health is going to improve. Now, all those things may happen, but they may not. So we've got to be careful that Jesus does not become the means to an end. In other words, a happy and productive life is not the end or the goal. It's not the most important thing. And I think, sadly, some sorts of Christian witnessing seem to portray that, that I want a happy, successful, productive life so I'll use Jesus to get me it. And that's actually turning the Christian faith on its head. So when Jesus says that we will have an abundant life and that uh, the, the yoke will be easier and, 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 and the like, what is he saying? What, what, is our, what could our expectation be in that case? I, uh, very difficult to answer that because it can differ in different people's cases. First of all, I'm not saying uh, uh, you're come to follow Jesus and you're going to be miserable all the time. That's certainly not the case. But when Jesus promises abundant life, he makes that promise in the context of all saying, take up your cross and follow me, and and, uh, in this world you will have trouble. Um, Then again, he says, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So um, I believe that what Jesus is offering is certainly not a trouble-free life, Um, and he's not necessarily guaranteeing we're always going to be happy either. Um, He never promises that. He's more concerned with our holiness than our happiness. Um, you can't be happy all the time, you see. I mean, I mean, I mean, you know, life is such that you can't be happy. If a terrible tragedy strikes someone in your family, you can't be happy. Uh, you can be glad that God is good and will sustain you in the middle of it, but you can't be happy. It's silly to be happy all the time. Uh, I, I mean, if, if someone is happy all the time, I think there's something seriously psychologically wrong with them. I think Hugh Mackay says that in his uh, Good Life book, he, he says that happiness is just one of many emotions, that, yeah, um, that yeah. what you're after is a, a joy. That's right. Joy is constant. You know, um, if, if uh, I get, um, you know, happiness is up and down depending on uh, circumstances, um, I I get an adorable little kitten from the pet shop. I'm happy. The adorable little kitten gets sick. I'm unhappy. I take it to the vet uh, who makes it better. I'm happy. 
the vet sends me the bill, I'm unhappy. And so happiness goes up and down, up and down. But joy is a glad confidence in the goodness of God, irrespective of circumstances. Happiness depends on circumstances and so fluctuates. Joy depends on the character of God and so it doesn't. And I think that's what Jesus is promising us with abundant life. I don't think he's saying, come to me and I'll give you all the material prosperity that uh, you can ever imagine. He can do that and sometimes he does, but he may choose not to. I think what he's doing is talking about a depth of life which comes from when we're with Jesus, I do think we discover our truest identity. We were made for him. And I think only in relationship with him do we discover our truest identity, which does not mean that anyone outside of Christ has no identity at all. It is a matter of degrees. You've been listening to LifeWords Q&A. I hope you found it uh, stimulating and helpful. You can always email us with questions and, uh, yeah, issues that you're facing and that you would like answers to. LifeWords at hopemedia.com.au is our email address. We look forward to seeing you next time on LifeWords.